evidence and answers. The scriptures are filled with history, from artifacts to prominent figures, to places, cultures, and so much more. So what do the ancient ruins tell us about the Bible? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on Evidence and Answers, Pat is speaking with one of the leading biblical archaeologists, Joseph Holden, as they discuss archaeology and the Bible. If you're unable to hear any of this broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here's our host, Pat Zucran, with part one. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide evidence for faith and hope in Jesus Christ and biblical answers to the challenges of today. Well, today we're looking at the fascinating world of archaeology and the Bible. And our guest today is Joseph Holden, president of Veritas Evangelical Seminary in Los Angeles, California. He'll be telling us more about that seminary as the interview goes on. But Joe Holden earned a master's from Southern Evangelical Seminary and a Ph.D. from the University of Wales. And he is co-author along with Dr. Norman Geisler on a great new book here. You're going to want to get the popular handbook of archaeology and the Bible. So, Joe, welcome to Evidence and Answers. Patrick, thank you so much for having me on today. It's a delight to be with you. Well, let's talk a little bit about archaeology and the Bible. What is the relationship between archaeology and the Bible? Well, Patrick, many people have questions in their own mind about whether the biblical statements are either derived from myth, or are they actual real-life historical time and space statements that actually happened? We have questions about people, places, events, even places of geography are important to the Bible reader's mind, because if these things are mythological, then what evidence do we have to believe in Jesus Christ? But the more and more we dig in, Patrick, we have discovered so many of these artifacts that give us great reason to believe that everything that is written in the Scripture actually took place in time-space history. Yeah, you know, one of the things unique about Christianity is that it is a historical faith. You know, unlike a lot of the religions we grew up with here in Hawaii and in the Pacific, you know, about Maui and Pele, the fire goddess and others, they're of a legendary nature. In Hinduism, the stories of Krishna and the other gods are of, are of a legendary nature. But here, Christianity is uniquely a historical faith, and archaeology confirms that, indeed, there really was a guy named Jesus. There really was these prophets and these cities that are named in the Bible that add to the historical nature of Christianity. Yes, absolutely. In fact, every turn of the archaeologist's spade now we're seeing a consistency with what has been written in the Scripture, oftentimes up to some 3,000 years ago. So this is something that has been growing over time, and the artifacts just keep stacking up. But unfortunately, sometimes these artifacts that we're discovering are relishing in the academic discussions and journals and never filter their way down into the popular church. And that's unfortunate, because if the Christians knew what kind of evidence they had to back up their beliefs, it would be amazing. I think evangelism would soar through the roof, 
and we would speak with confidence, knowing that everything written in Scripture did come to pass. Yeah, so Joe, what has archaeology been able to confirm about the Bible? Well, there's been dozens and dozens of finds. For example, Pontius Pilate was often thought of as a mythological figure, the person who worked for the Roman government who sentenced Jesus to death in the first century AD. We found his stone with his inscription on it and even his title and area of jurisdiction of Judea. And this was found in Caesarea by the sea up in the northern part of Israel some time ago by some Italian archaeologists. We've even discovered the Erastus inscription found in the ancient city of Corinth. In fact, Erastus, the Bible tells us, was the traveling companion of Paul the Apostle. And we see him mentioned in Timothy and other books of the Bible. His name is inscribed on a sidewalk that he laid in ancient city of Corinth out of appreciation for being elected to public office. So, Patrick, we're finding more and more of these finds consistently pointing to how we can substantiate Jesus's real existence and every statement that was written in the Bible it was actually a matter of fact. We believe in a historic Christian faith, not a mythological pie in the sky. Yeah, you bring up a great point. You know, growing up here in Hawaii and hearing all these other religions based on a mythological and legendary accounts really got me to really be disenchanted with religion. And then, you know, I went to a liberal high school that taught the Bible was simply legend as well. And, you know, if that's the case, it's really not worth believing. But then when I was able to discover that, no, Christianity is uniquely a historical faith, wow, that really piqued my interest because these events really occurred. And it's a true story, what we have in the Bible from beginning to end. Well, Joe, you basically say there are two schools that approach biblical archaeology in different ways, the minimalist and the maximalist. What are the minimalists, what are the maximalists, and what is the difference between the two? That's a great question. And these two groups, the minimalists and the maximalists, have been bickering throughout time in how they interpret the artifacts that come out of the ground. The minimalist would say that there is a minimal relationship between the artifact and what is written in the Bible. The maximalist will say there is a greater relationship that shows itself between the artifact and what is written in Scripture. Most Bible-believing Christians are what you call maximalists. The minimalists are usually critical scholars or critical archaeologists that don't see much connection between the archaeology and the biblical text. But the unfortunate thing is, most of the time this is due to a false assumption that the minimalist would bring to the table when they start interpreting the artifact. In fact, some minimalists will use their anti-supernatural presupposition. In other words, they, they simply don't believe in miracles or they don't believe in a supernatural revelation like the Bible, so therefore it can't be referring to the Bible. So their presupposition, their ideas, or their worldview is limiting how they view the artifacts that come out of the ground. But for the maximalist position, the Bible-believing Christian would say, since we don't have any rejection of miracles, then we can interpret the artifact that comes out of the ground in a more broad perspective. If it 
contains something that refers to the supernatural, then why can't we believe that it came from the Bible? Because nobody has disproved miracles. Why? Because they never have disproved God, and miracles are an act of God. Yeah, so what you're saying is that really it's the presupposition or the assumption the archaeologist comes with that determines you know, how they interpret the evidence. And it seems like the minimalist, instead of saying, you know, let's see what the Bible says and see how the archaeology matches up, seems to already come in with that presupposition or assumption that the Bible is not historically accurate, especially in areas where supernatural events occur. So they, they seem to be coming from a more naturalistic kind of persuasion. Would you say that? Yes, naturalism would rule their worldview and how they interpret the artifacts. In fact, Patrick, in one particular quote by one minimalist, this is what he said. He said that no archaeologist goes out into the field with a Bible in one hand and a trowel in the other. But I would reverse that statement and say, as a maximalist, that no responsible archaeologist would ever go out into the field without his Bible in one hand and without a trowel in the other hand. And why is that the case? Because the Bible is a primary ancient document that refers to geography, people, places, even the kind of coins that were used in business transactions. So it, it's incumbent upon the archaeologist to take all perspectives or every piece of primary literature, such as the Bible, into consideration when interpreting the facts. To not do so would simply be irresponsible. Now, it seems like, Joseph, correct me if I'm wrong, but the majority of the schools out there and universities and Near East archaeology magazines are coming from the minimalist perspectives. Is that right? Yes, for the most part. Usually the universities and the larger programs are coming from a secular perspective, and many of the professors do have that bias that's part of their interpretation of the artifacts. However, not all of them. I mean, there are some professors that do a very good job and bring their expertise to bear, but make no pronouncements as to whether it relates to the scriptures or it doesn't relate to the scriptures. Because all as we have to do as Christians is show that archaeology is at least minimally consistent with the scriptures. And that's what we're finding. We're finding that everything we're pulling out of the dirt is consistent with the biblical text. And that doesn't mean that there's not difficulties. Sure, there's difficulties here and there, but we have not seen a contradiction from what is written in the Bible, which is all we have to prove is show that there's consistency without contradiction. Yeah, you know, when I was in college and grad school, it was hard for me to find articles or literature coming from the maximalist perspective. Most articles and journals I was reading was showing how the archaeology doesn't seem to match up with the biblical text. It was quite difficult for me to find one from that perspective. There were just a few coming from the maximalist perspective that held that the Bible is a historically reliable document. So I'm glad for schools like Veritas and Southern and books like these coming out for those of us who hold to the authority of the Bible. Yes, absolutely. And see, there's no reason for the Christian to shrink back in demonstrating the historical evidence for the Scripture, because it's all over the place. In fact, if we were to discuss whether we know that Jesus Christ really existed in history, 
it would be hands down in favor of the Christian record. Why? Because we have historical and archaeological evidence to confirm it, such as the James ossuary that actually has the name of James, the son of Joseph and the brother of Jesus, written on the side of an ossuary. And an ossuary is just a little bone box about 18 inches long, where they would collect the bones of the deceased from the family tomb and put them in these little bone boxes and then store them. And that has been discovered, you know, decades ago. It even went through a deeply involved and passionate court case. And the expert witnesses that were brought in to testify on its authenticity saw no reason to doubt that this box was genuine and authentic. Jesus being referred to on the side of this bone box. And then there's other things, such as the Alexamenos graffiti. It's a piece of graffiti that was discovered that shows Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, and he has a donkey's head on him. So it's a piece of graffiti that makes fun of Jesus and Christians in general about worshiping this person who died for them on the cross. There are some dozen lines of evidence that we can cite that shows that Jesus Christ was a real figure of history and that is consistent with Scripture. Wow. Now, you state in your book that there are over 100,000, man, that's a lot, 100,000 discoveries, you know, coins, plaques, bricks of a city wall that confirm people, places, and events of the Bible. That is just phenomenal. Now, how does biblical archaeology compared to archaeology of other religions, such as Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism? Well, archaeology of the biblical record, or of, let's say, Christianity or the Old Testament Judaism, is so prolific. If you look at the Israeli Antiquity Authorities database, there are hundreds of thousands of artifacts in there, either directly or indirectly relating to the scriptures. And I might say without contradiction. Difficulties, yes. Contradiction, no. And some of those difficulties are worked out in time. But when you start to discuss the archaeology of Hinduism or the archaeology of Islam, yes, there is a little bit of archaeology, but the archaeology is not pointing with force and with strength to the confirmation of actual historical events. In fact, when you go to look at the archaeology of Islam, you find that there are major discrepancies with the doctrines of Islam. For example, one archaeologist noted that the direction of the mosques in Islam were not facing toward Mecca in the earliest buildings of these structures. They were actually facing more toward Jerusalem than Mecca. And this wow. is not uh, talked about much, but it is certainly a fact that some noted archaeologists have mentioned. Yeah, that's absolutely fascinating and phenomenal that you have just thousands of discoveries that confirm the accounts of the Bible. Compare that to like Islam or and even Mormonism, you know, it claims there's numerous dozens and dozens of cities caliber of Egypt and Babylon here in the U.S. And we haven't found any. In fact, there is no map in the Book of Mormon telling you where these cities are compared to the Bible. I mean, almost everyone's Bible has a map telling you where these cities and places are. So it's just, but you said, you know, even though there's hundreds of thousands of artifacts and discoveries, that's only about, what, 10% of actually what's out there? 
actually, we've only discovered or actually excavated only 1% of wow. all the locations that could be excavated. That means only one out of 100 sites have been dug up and analyzed. And the 1% that we have dug up matches remarkably well with the biblical record. And that's why Christians ought to prepare themselves to read, to analyze, to equip themselves, especially with books like the popular handbook of archaeology in the Bible. It gives you step-by-step photos or throughout the book, and it explains in detail, in simple, understandable ways, how you can understand these artifacts that support the Scripture. We just need to be aware of them, I think. Yeah. Now, Joseph, how should we respond when there is a discovery that appears to go against biblical history? Well, first of all, I would look at what the story is and then do your research. Find out if the article that you're reading was reported correctly and allow time and analysis to go ahead and vet the article. We don't have to jump to conclusions because somebody thinks it might be this or might be that. And, and it doesn't have to be against Christianity. It could be for it as well. But we need to be patient. Let the people do the analysis, do the examination, and we do our own research. And in time, we'll have a more accurate view. Because there's been different finds that have thought to have been a contradiction to Christianity, but later have been turned out to be nothing more than relating to some other issue and not debunking Christianity at all. Yeah, you got any uh, examples of that? Well, when we look at uh, the different uh, paleontologists, when they dig up chimpanzees or apes and try to show that these are missing links, half human, half animal, so to speak, well, when you find these pieces and they reconstruct the whole family of apes that look very human-like, you later discover that either the find was fully human or fully chimpanzee or ape. For example, Harold Cook found a rare pig's tooth in Nebraska, and they created a whole family out of this one rare pig's tooth that they thought was the missing link uh, between humans and chimpanzees and apes and so forth. Well, they later found that it was only an extinct rare pig's tooth. It wasn't the missing link. Or recently, even Lucy or Peking Man, they find that these finds are actually full chimpanzees or ape-like. They're not both a combination of human and ape. So more of this comes from our interpretation or the worldview or trying to foster or bolster up a dying opinion that we evolved from animals. The same thing is true with biblical archaeology. Most of the time, the worldview is at play trying to bolster and build up something that may not be true. Yeah, you know, I can think of like Jericho, you know, a couple decades ago, Kathleen Kenyon did her dig and she said, you know, the archaeology doesn't match up with the biblical timeline. I think she got a 12th century date or, and there were others that said, well, Jericho, you know, was an abandoned city by the time Joshua got there, according to the archaeology. Yet, in recent times, uh, Dr. Brian Wood, doing his excavations, discovered that Kathleen Kenyon, you know, was digging in the poorer side of Jericho, and so the pottery, the Phoenician pottery she was looking for wasn't there, because that would be, you know, with the more wealthier people, and she was digging in the outskirts, the poor side, and eventually, 
the, the discoveries of Brian Wood ended up turning the tide and showing that really the dating, the scarab beetles from the graveyards and the pottery and all that that they were looking for was discovered. And later on, we discovered, well, it does match up with the biblical timeline. Yes, uh, Brian Wood did give us some things to think about after his analysis of the findings after Kenyon already dug in Jericho. But you know, it's a funny thing about dating. The biblical dating is often, or I should say the biblical events are often different from the dates that scholars tag to certain time periods. So let me give you an example of this. We have been looking for evidence of the Exodus in Egypt during the Ramesside period, which is in the 1200s or the 13th century B.C. Well, if you keep looking in the 13th century B.C. and you don't find any evidence, and you write articles that say the Exodus never happened because we can't find any evidence, well, if you're looking in the 13th century Ramesside period, where most critical scholars are looking, well, then you're probably not going to find anything because it didn't happen during that time. It probably happened during the 15th century, an earlier Exodus date. And when we move the date to the 15th century B.C., you find all kinds of evidence coming out of the ground. For example, Manifred Betok, the archaeologist that has been digging at a site called Avaris in Egypt, has dug up all kinds of evidence that would fit perfectly with a Hebrew settlement in the Goshen area in an abandonment, an abrupt abandonment of that area, and also tools that were left behind, projects that were just dropped like overnight. There was a mass exodus during this time, but the scholars will not associate this archaeological evidence because of the dating problem. So dating is very important, and that comes into play in Jericho as well. So I like to relate biblical events in their chronology toward looking and finding the solutions. I don't want to pigeonhole the evidence into these artificially man-made dates, because sometimes they just don't fit. Yeah. Now, you know, there are some who argue that really you can't really know history. And they say, well, history is really the interpretation of the historian. And often their interpretations of the facts contradict one another. So we really can't know history. It's just the interpretation of the historian. How do you answer that? Well, when somebody says you can't know history, they would have to rely on their view of history to say they couldn't know history. So literally, Patrick, it would be a self-defeating statement to say you can't know history. For, for how can you say you can't know history unless you know something about history? That is just a a nonsense statement that's self-defeating. And, you know, we have the artifacts and the facts there, you know, and so we can look at their interpretations and say, well, which one's the most reasonable here looking at the facts that we have? For example, you know, there are some people that say, well, the Holocaust never happened. Well, we have the ability to judge whether that's good history or bad history based on the facts that are there. So we can evaluate a person's interpretation looking at the facts that are in front of us. Absolutely, because we can only go on what we have in our hand to analyze, and all the information that we have in our hand is perfectly consistent with the biblical record, both Old Testament and New Testament. 
And that's what makes me so excited, Patrick, is the evidence that we can evaluate tells us we can know something about history. Though we can't know everything about history, we can know some things, and those some things that we do know, they are remarkably similar to the Bible. Now, you state on page 200, the lack of archaeological data relating to the Bible is not evidence against the historicity of the Bible. Now, there's a lot of archaeology we haven't discovered yet regarding biblical events, people, places, and times, but you're saying that's not evidence against the history of the Bible. Explain that for us. That's right. The, the absence of evidence, per se, perhaps we have not discovered it yet, is not an argument for contradiction, because there's nothing there to show. But it just simply means that we ought to keep looking, keep digging, and one day we will find answers to our questions, and one day we may find an artifact relating to a certain passage of Scripture. But simply because we don't find something yet doesn't mean it does not exist. And that's the fallacy we have to stay out of, is if it's called the argument from silence, actually, just because that there is nothing saying something to verify something doesn't mean that silence is an argument against the theory or the Bible. So we got to be careful. With that. Our time has come to a close. We thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you find this broadcast to be of a great value to you, would you please consider partnering with us? Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and purchase Pat's products, head on over to our website, That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, additional audio, and Pat's books. Be sure to share our website with your family, friends, and your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit their website at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers.